Hello, it's Trish and Heather here and we're home design coaches and founders of The Scribble Club. The Scribble Club is an online community for people who like design, healthy and functional homes and are looking for creative inspiration from professional designers. We're so excited to announce our brand new podcast called The Sketchy Ladies. Our podcast is a mix of design and building advice from inside the industry. You'll get simple tips and tricks to help you overcome your design challenges with creative solutions. You'll learn how to create spaces you've always dreamed of but never had the confidence to design. We value beautiful, functional, healthy homes and that's what we're here to help you discover. As qualified designers and busy mums, we understand how your health, sanity and well-being can benefit from a well-designed home. There's no need to settle for second best. Each week you'll get some tips and tricks to help improve the spaces inside and outside your home. Make sure you subscribe to the Sketchy Ladies podcast and this way you won't miss an episode. You can find links to all of the episodes and other goodies at thescribbleclub.com forward slash podcast. The Sketchy Ladies podcast is here to help you create your dream home. Let's make it happen. Welcome to episode four of the Sketchy Ladies podcast with Trish and Heather, where we discuss designing the outside of our homes. This is the third installment of our four foundations of good design, which are planning, inside, outside and upside down. In today's episode, we will discuss the design of outside of your home, including the four most common planning challenges you face when designing outside, how to solve these challenges with good design, and the cost of those areas and how we can avoid them. Heather, what sort of challenges are we looking at when we're talking about outside our home? Well, there's lots. It always starts with planning, doesn't it? That seems to be our theme. (laughs) So planning is the first one. Then we've also got to look at our surrounding landscape and whether the ground slopes or not. The third challenge is where we put our driveway And the last one is all about our external materials and finishes. Perhaps if we just go through those one by one, we can break them down a bit so everybody knows what we're talking about. Obviously planning, we've touched on planning in previous episodes, but planning of the exterior space is actually quite different to planning of an interior space, isn't it? That's right. You want to know what's going on around, what the site's actually doing. Is it a greenfield site? A greenfield site is that vacant site, it's just green grass, that's what I always picture. What is it doing in regards to the orientation of the sun? That's hilarious, isn't it? Because Greenfields, we've got this vision of like the bowling green and, you know, the walls, but the reality is it's probably a patch of mud. Yeah, rocks and (laughs) half-cut trees. It's a patch of rubble. And I guess part of the planning is having the vision to take it from the patch of mud either into the bowling green, if that's the sort of thing that you're after, or transforming that into a space that's as special to you as the inside of your house. We're really big on holistic planning, which means we're thinking about everything to do with the house design and the outside is as important to us as the inside is. We talked about those bubble diagrams or mud maps, which is fitting on a muddy site. (laughs) Do you do that process? Because that's something that I do is I think about, well, where do I want my private open space or my backyard? Where do I want to, again, drive in? Or where am I looking at the house when I drive up? Those sort of things. Do you think that goes through that process? Absolutely. When we talk about site, we're talking about the block of land. Mm. Probably have three fence lines and then a frontage to a street. The other thing you've got to consider though, or the most important thing to me, is where is the sun going to track? It's no good putting a building on the northern side and having all your courtyards on the southern side because they'll just be in shade the whole day and they'd be horrible. Unless you're in a really hot climate. (laughs) Unless you're in Queensland. (laughs) Really, really hot climate, in which case that might be an advantage. A lot of it is about how we plan from the get-go. It's not the outside. The first thing you've got to decide is where's the house going to sit on the block, but that can also be determined about where the access is if there's a driveway that's already been put in place and these are all council approved we call them crossovers when you buy a block often these days there's a designated crossover and if you're 
towards the a corner block near a roundabout or something like that, there'll actually be guidelines that the council set out whereby you can't have your driveway very close to that roundabout. When we start planning, we look at where the crossovers are. If you've just got one curb that runs along the whole lot and you can cross anywhere, that's unbelievable, mm-hmm. that's great. But often they'd be very specific about where you have your crossover and that's obviously your driveway's got to go there. That's going to determine part of your overall site planning. So it's a bit of a matrix or a puzzle, if you like, of trying to fit all the bits together so that they sit on the site. And back onto the sunlight, it's different, in, especially in Tasmania. We value our winter sun over our summer sun. They're two completely different tracks. We get more sun in summer. We've got to think about those things too. How is that going to affect coming into the home? And then it's also views. There's a big one, isn't it, views? Where are we seeing the garage or the driveway going to sit right back bang where the most beautiful view is? Well, the other classic is uh, straight out of my kitchen window is the fence of the next-door yeah. neighbour. Yeah, so we put up some fake greenery on the, on the <laughs> fence. Planning has really got a lot to do with it because that's how you will determine your budget and you can create a detailed plan if you're doing landscaping. Even if you can't afford it up front, what you want to do is have the vision of what it's going to look like in the end or some ideas about what it look like. We talked before about using Pinterest and Instagram for ideas. It's always great to put a little portfolio together of ideas about the sort of things you need. There's some beautiful photos of fire pits and outdoor eating areas and that sort of thing that you can go, okay, well, if I want that, I'm going to need X amount of space, I'm going to need X budget and I'm going to need connectivity to the kitchen, for example. Those connections of those spaces is the next process, isn't it, as part of that planning or how am I going to come from my garage or my driveway to the front door. My house is a perfect example. We've got a massive front yard because we're talking about those constraints again with the boundaries, whether things are dictated to by the council. What I have on my site is a building envelope and that's an area that's been dedicated by the council as part of the subdivision of where we're allowed to build. We're not allowed to encroach outside of that space. And then there's additional ones like setbacks. There are minimum requirements with a gap between our boundary line or our fence line and our home. In the front of our place, we've got this huge front yard, so we've got to try and fill that somehow. What do we want to try and get in there? What service is that doing to the house? How are we connecting through to the house from there? It takes a lot of thought, doesn't it? Because that's something that you haven't necessarily asked for. It's just a requirement of that site. Mm -hmm. And landscaping costs a lot of money if you're really going high end, but Part of it, the creating the plan is even if you can't afford it initially, at least have an understanding of what's going to go there. There's nothing worse than having to pull up the lawn to then retrofit something that doesn't work in that space. You're trying to jam a square peg into a round hole because you haven't got it pre-planned. Even if you can't afford it initially, at least by creating a plan, you will know where it's going to come when you've got the budget to do it. And then how is that connecting to the front and the backyard? Is that connection in the flow? We've still got that external flow part of the house. Where does the sun fall for those spaces? So we've got a lot of elements to put together. Having a professional help with that process. I find getting them involved before you purchase a site is really helpful too. So you know what your constraints are. If there's a subdivision and there's 20 blocks for sale, for example, half those blocks are going to be a lot better from a design perspective than the other half simply because they're sitting on one side of the street or the other depending on how they face the sun, how the natural breeze goes through, all those sorts of things. Getting a design professional involved, if they're all costing the same amount of money, they can point you in the right direction to say do this site, not this site because from an architectural or a building design point of view, it's going to work so much better for what you're wanting to achieve. I can guarantee the developers haven't thought about (laughs) the design of the land. They've just thought about the size of how much the land is or what the view is getting from those sites. How much they'll make when they sell it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What it costs to put the water in. Planning is a big one and you'll hear us 
talk about it all the time simply because that's what we do professionally and we know that's the only way to avoid making mistakes in the future. We really want to have everything planned out. The other thing to think of with the exterior is that things change over time too. We discussed whether you might want to put a granny flat or something in in the future. It's just having the knowledge and the ability to say that, yes, that can happen in the future without me having to rip up the whole driveway to get yeah. some extra electrical connections yeah. or water connections in, something like yeah, that. Or the massive crane I've just seen down the road putting in a little granny flat. The costs are just looking at that going, great idea to put a granny flat in, but, you know, where does that come in with the budget? Am I allowing for that down the track? It's going to cost me more. And sometimes it might be better to build it now or earlier than later. So it's knowing that. And also what is surrounding you? What homes are already in place? What have you got across the road that you need to be aware of? And all of the surrounding landscape has an effect on your property too, doesn't it? A little sneaky trick that developers use is they sell off the bad blocks first. Yeah. <laughs> People think, oh, that's beautiful. You know, and look, if you are going into any sort of new land development, what the stages are beyond it, often they'll have a stellar view to something, to the hills, to water, to lake, and they'll sell the bad ones first knowing that they will be built out in the future a lot of people will build their dream home and two years later they're looking at neighbors the bad ones gonna be the cheaper one too isn't it so you're going Always. in thinking that you've got the cheapest option oh great one you know, haven't thought about what else is going to happen in the future that brings us to our second challenge which is the surrounding landscape and sloping ground the surrounding landscape is everything that's around your site it's not just beyond the three fences in the front. It's what's over the road, what's in the environment around you, where you're looking at. If you're in a rural area, it's a very different landscape to if you're in a city and the design requirements are completely different for the two different sites. Even though we're still designing a home, they're completely different. The big one, and this is really, really imperative that you get right, if you've got a sloping site, that will cost you money, won't it? Oh, yeah. And it's right through to the cost of the engineer when you're designing your home through to the cost of the concrete that's being poured into the ground. They're the things that can really expedite the expense of of projects. Normally, you say 20 to 30% extra if you're building on a really steep site. And again, are we cutting into the site, which is where we dig into the land to make a flat surface for our floor? Are we going to elevate or bring everything up and stick it all on poles so it's all flat are we looking at two stories are we looking splitting it over the site there's so many options and all those things cost different amounts of money when we talk about the slope of the site it can be quite deceptive because it can look like it's a flat site but across the length of a site you actually need to get it's surveyed and levels done because even the smallest amount of fall can add up to a metre across a site in depth, which is four or five stairs between one area and another that you'd be required to put in. And the other huge mistake I see is people go to um, get a package deal and most of those home builder designs are done for a flat site. The second you put that on any sort of slope, be it one metre, it's difference between one metre slope and three metre slope across the site, but any sort of slope is going to cost you so much more money because the design is done on the most basic budget to get you in to say, oh, that's cheap, that's good. But that relies on them usually putting a concrete slab on a flat surface. And the second that you have to do something different to that, you either have to build up underneath it to support it or dig down into the ground to do it. If the site has any sort of rocks or difficult soils, then that could cost you a lot of money very quickly. I've seen a six metre retaining wall for that exact purpose. Can you imagine the cost of that? It's an engineered poured concrete wall is just a huge cost and there's site drainage issues we're talking about where the water might come off your land where is that going to be flooding right into your house because you've cut it into it and there's all those sort of things that come into play as well 
Water is a massive issue when we're building. We want to avoid water coming into our house no matter what. Sloping sites, it's a real catch. People mm. don't realise how much water will just keep flowing. I think it looks like they're flat site. It might not be flat, it might be level and, and tidy. <laughs> so people get that envision that it's actually flat. The amount of times we've had that pulled up on site and so it's about a three metre fall. And the vision of the design that they want to fit in that space isn't going to work. We've got to mould it and shape it because the site's already purchased. They haven't gone and got that original guidance through the selection of the site. Even with us, we rely on other professionals, usually surveyors. A surveyor goes out and measures our boundaries, which are the outside areas of the site, and gets the site levels too. That's it's elevation above sea level. If you can imagine sea level being zero, it's in metre heights above that. And that gives us points that when we are using our computer design packages we can put those points in and that'll actually map the ground for us. When we build a little box that's the house and sit it on top of the site we can say okay well on that corner it's a metre out of the ground, in this corner it's a metre down. We have sophisticated modelling techniques that most people when they're designing their house don't have. That helps us avoid those sort of problems. If somebody's looking at it then they don't really understand unless they've got that level of detail quite how big an impact it's going to have. The amount of times they've gone oh I didn't realise it was that bad. It's not bad it's just you've got to work with it. (laughs) The advantage of the surveyor I find is super valuable. They can pick up where our water connections are and sewer and even where the sewer line might be running in the ground and really importantly where is that crossover, where is that driveway sitting I have to say some developers or people that locate those, put them in the most valuable part of the site. There are opportunities to change it at a cost, obviously. Knowing where that exactly sits and if we can actually get our our circulation up the driveway and into the driveway is important too. The driveways are a huge challenge, aren't they? Because there's so many things to consider. It's what sort of vehicles you're going to have. Heavy vehicles obviously require a different sort of treatment of a driveway than lighter vehicles. If you've got lots of kids that are all going to get their pee plates (laughs) all very soon, you'll end up with lots of cars all parked around the place. Driveways are usually a big area of something, concrete or bitumen or whatever the driveway material is. There's often a lot of water runoff that can happen as well. If, for example, you've got a site that slopes down from a roadway, that driveway is just creating a massive big waterfall. (laughs) waterfall. It's actually a requirement now too from councils is that any water runoff from your site or your driveway mainly is captured before it spills onto the streets. That's where we might put a trench drainage at the base of the driveway, especially if you're falling towards the road, is that it captures and drains away before it starts flooding onto the roads. It'd be nice if the council did better drainage on their side so it didn't avoid going into your house, but the amount of times that we would have seen that happen, garages flooded because of the downfall. It's crazy. And everybody stores all their valuable stuff in the garage yeah. too, don't they? <laughs> I'm right, I know where to go to your house. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it, how that happens? Oh, it's the collection point of all things that we think is valuable. We might need to use and we don't want to chuck out. So yeah. it becomes a congregation space for all things that probably should have gone out in the first place. Having a flooded garage can be very, very costly and a nightmare to fix. That leads us to our external materials as well because part of looking at the outside we need to consider what materials we are going to use that are appropriate for the sites. One thing we talk about a lot in professional design circles is hard stand. Hard stand is our hard finishes and they're non-porous meaning that they won't absorb water. As Trish was saying with councils these days they want you to be able to manage your water so that you're not throwing swimming pools of water off your driveway or off your site out into the street. It makes sense because we've all got to live together in our communities and we don't want lots of water all flooding into the street and causing issues for everybody down the street. But part of that is that there's a lot of requirements now about the amount of hard stand you can have 
relative to your porous materials or soft surfaces like your lawns and gravel and that sort of thing. Part of what a design professional does is they look at the codes for the area, the suburb or the location or the climate and determine how much hard stand you can have. Some people like lots of hard surfaces. They want to concrete yeah. everything. <laughs> there was a bit of a stage there, wasn't there? Being there concreted that. I yeah. Think. <laughs> <laughs> but you might not necessarily be able to achieve that. So again, it's a combination of different materials and surfaces. When we're talking about those, we're talking about them being on the ground. But there are also external materials that you need to select for the outside of your building, Trish, isn't there? Yeah, so when we're talking about the external materials, the outside we're talking, a word that gets thrown around a lot is cladding. That's what the external walls are finished with. That could be what we refer to as lightweight cladding. It's a thinner material uh, that is fixed directly to the structure. Close to anyway. The stick on bits. <laughs> yeah, the stick on bits. <laughs> and then we're talking about maybe the heavier weight materials and a really common one is brick. When we're talking about cladding, we've got structure to hold the roof up, obviously, and a lot of the times the structure has to be solid. So it either has to be bricks or it has to be a frame or something that will withstand weather conditions. In cyclonic areas, we have to have certain bracing, everything that holds things together. When we use cladding, it gives us the ability to make things look a little bit more pretty than they otherwise would. Mixed cladding is a huge trend of the last 15, 20 years. The idea that we're seeing not just one brick all over a house, we might see a combination of brick, some lightweight cladding or weatherboards and even the colour bond materials. One of the things we've really got to consider when we're looking at our external finishes are the landscape and the environment that we're in. Depending on where our suburb sits in relation to the rest of the surrounding area, you might find that you've got bushfire conditions or you've got coastal conditions or you've got exposed sunlight conditions, all of which can really wreak havoc on some of our external products, can't it? That's right. How durable are they? Are they going to last the length of time? Classic is coastal, isn't it? It just Things break down a lot quicker without exposure to the weather conditions. Rust, rust, rust and more rust. (laughs) (laughs) Don't build a steel home. (laughs) With that, obviously, different products have different warranties and guarantees and the professional part of the design is making sure that those warranties and guarantees are going to stand up to the environment that they're in. We won't specify the wrong product well, we shouldn't specify the wrong. We try not to. <laughs> we try not to. And we look at those warranties and guarantees. Often, though, if we have got an extreme condition like a coastal condition, the products, for example, a metal roofing, will cost proportionately a lot more because it has to have a certain rating or a certain finish to withstand the conditions that it's in. It also comes down to the installation of the product itself, providing the right guidance and design specifications for the builder to install it correctly under the requirements of the cladding provider. This is a really big issue in multi-storey buildings in Sydney and around the world. Some of the products that they were using are highly flammable and it's not necessarily just the product but it's also the way that they were fixed to the wall creates an air gap which is effectively making it a chimney. The big fires that we saw in London that were really catastrophic, part of that was that the cladding, once it did catch a light, created a worse effect, made the whole building a chimney. They're the sort of things that we look at and make sure that the fixings of the cladding, the stick-on bits, are done properly and aren't going to cause other issues down the track. That comes back into the health of the home. Are we getting the ventilation of the walls so we've not got moisture in the inside our homes? But there's a lot to think about, isn't there? It all comes together and it's not just what it looks like, it's, it's all the guts, what's in behind it, what's those extra bits one of the things we're really big on is practicality too it's not just about looking nice it's about being right and fit for purpose for you and your family we're also looking at how you use it and how practical it is going to be to use well if you've got that painting and that general extra servicing of the product over time and you're in your 80s you don't want to be doing that painting or having to pay someone to do it 
I think the trend of downsizing and low maintenance is obviously gaining momentum because it was the Australian dream to have the massive house and all that yeah. sort of thing. But now as people are getting older, they're realising that the maintenance on that, just the yards, is yeah. huge. With our external spaces too, maintenance is a huge issue, not just for our finishes of our building, but also for our gardens and our finishes outside. If you've got a pool, anyone that's ever had a pool will know that maintenance is <laughs> just an everyday occurrence. If it's a salt pool too, that can affect the outside of your home. The takeaway from this is pools cost lots and lots yeah. of money. <laughs> and lots of time. Yeah, <laughs> lots of time, lots of money. Unless you've got somebody to clean it for you, then think twice about putting a pool in. We wrap up all of our outside challenges of planning, landscaping, driveways and external materials by just refreshing ourselves about what good design is. Good design is something that's very planned, coordinated, thought about. Educated knowledge and experience, whether you're educating yourself or reaching out to a professional that already has that education, can be a huge advantage. One of the things we're doing in the Scribble Club this season is an exterior makeover, designing Mm -hmm. right from the ground up. If somebody's got a yard that has nothing in it other than a bit of lawn or a bit of dirt, we're going to look at the process and take people through the process of doing their very own thing, including the veggie garden, for example, yeah. if they want a veggie garden. Just really going through all the different things that we can select, putting together something that's really fun to do. Yeah, which is exciting. There's so many options, isn't there, how we generate outdoor rooms. We'd love to have you come and join the Scribble Club with us and join us on our fun adventures, our makeovers. So thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Sketchy Ladies podcast and join us in our next episode where we'll discuss our upside-down spaces. This episode was brought to you by The Scribble Club, our signature group coaching program to help women design beautiful, functional, healthy homes. Check it out at thescribbleclub.com along with so many free resources to help you design and deliver the dream spaces in your home and get the results that you deserve. If you loved this episode, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends on social media and tag us at The Scribble Club. We love hearing from our listeners and seeing your reactions to our episodes. We'd also love for you to leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. It also helps other listeners to find our show. Have a wonderful day. We're the Sketchy Ladies and we're behind you all the way.